thank you so much for making time for this. Oh, no, I'm happy, I'm happy to, to. I'm interested to uh, see the uh, developments of mindfulness in uh, Britain. And um, I, I just heard the front door knock. Hang on a minute. Um, I'm just looking for my sheet. It should be right here. Yes, there it is. Um, before I begin, yes. it might be best. You've probably got a few questions around the project or questions to me. If you've got anything at all, let's get those out of the way. Right. And then I can run you through the interview itself, if you like. Okay, so um, I'd appreciate, Alp, if you could just give a broad, shorter overview um, of the project. Yes. Um, what the um, essential motivations are, and who are the people that you are actually reaching out to? Absolutely. So, yeah. so, I mean, long story short, I'm not sure if you've been able, if you've had a chance to look at our website, uh, Mapping Mindfulness in the UK. Uh -huh. uh, got a link to it in my signature on all the emails I've sent you. Oh, right, yeah. Or if you just type in Mapping Mindfulness in the UK, you'll find the website which pretty much outlines what this research is all about. Okay, good. But just to give it to you in a nutshell, it's basically a three-year funded, um, it's a, funded by the Leverhulme Trust. We're based at Cardiff University, mm -hmm. um, institutionally, although I live in London. Yes. And um, we're working with, well, we've effectively got um, a psychologist, a scholar of Buddhism, uh, myself, I'm a sociologist, mm -hmm. and uh, another person who specializes in education on our team. Yes. I'm the most junior person, and um, the other people are senior lecturers and professors, etc. Mm. And uh, our remit, the remit of the project itself, is effectively to understand what's happening in this so-called mindfulness milieu in the UK. Good. Now, as I'm sure you'll know better than anyone, there's been a significant growth in this field. Mm -hmm. And uh, the vast majority of studies looking at this, at least academic scientific studies, mm. focus more on the sort of clinical health aspect of this, yes. therapeutic and the uh, depression elements, etc. Um, what we're trying to do is to go beyond that and effectively to focus on the people, effectively, like yourself, yeah. behind this so-called movement mm. to try and get a better sense of who's involved, get the full picture of what's happening in this milieu. And as I'm sure you'll appreciate, there are people like yourself who are, you know, outright Buddhists or yeah. Dharma teachers and yeah. who've been in the game for a long, long time. Yeah. And many people, some of whom don't even have a mindfulness qualification for doing no. teaching on the ground. Now, this is not to judge anything as being right or wrong, but it's just to get a sense of the full spectrum of what's happening. All right. Oh, good. Good project. <laughs> we've got quite a few people. I mean, this, we've got a survey, we're doing interviews like this one, we're also doing what I call ethnographies of people doing teaching or various conferences around mindfulness across the country. Yeah. And um, I had a chat with Mark Williams from the Oxford Centre yes. last week, mm -hmm. speaking with Willem Kuyken again tomorrow, mm -hmm. uh, again, interview format. And, <coughs> uh, you know, we've got interviews with the leaders of Breathworks, Gaia House, of course. Yes. And also people who just run a high street shop on mindfulness or, say, teachers who've done a qualification yeah. so they can tell us about what's happening in schools. All right. Excellent. Sounds good. Very good. And we're not really looking for a particular hypothesis as such. No. We're really just trying to get a sense of what's happening at the moment. Mm. Because it's very diverse 
and we are specifically focusing on teachers. Mm. In other words, people, if I were to go out and if I wanted to find a mindfulness teacher, mm. who are the sorts of people that I might come across? Yeah. We're trying to focus on them to then get a better sense of what's actually happening. Excellent. Okay, I hope that makes sense. It's not so clear. Well done. Yeah, nice. Good one. Now, in your case, of mm. course, there's a lot of information that we already have gathered mm. about your past, about your involvement, mm. your Dharma teacher, obviously all of your publications, and uh, not to mention your Dharma channel on YouTube, etc. Oh, yeah. mm. And again, I know you'll know this, but a lot of uh, the mindfulness teachers that we interview refer back to your work or refer back to your books, etc. Mm. So you're clearly a very prominent figure in this field. Mm. And... Um, with that in mind, my questions for you today are slightly different to the way that I ask more generic Yes, all right. Okay? Okay. But even so, there are a few things I do need to tap into just so we can fit you into the overall biggest grand Sure. Event. And uh, just to run you through my set of questions here, I've got um, 14 questions. Yeah. Okay. I hope I won't take more than, than an hour in terms of going through this with you. Yeah, take your time. Thank you, I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Um, so... 14 questions, and um, at the beginning, I just want to ask you briefly about your own practice. Yes. Um, and then I basically expand into general questions mm. from your perspective about, about the mindfulness field specifically, but we can also talk about Buddhism. In that yeah. Mm. Um, and then that's pretty much it. And then at the end, there'll be some scope for discussion if you think that we may have left anything out. Okay. okay, all right. So, shall I uh, shall I start now with your first question? I will give you the first. Oh, question. you're going to give to it. Okay. Uh, before I do as well, if you don't mind, uh, is it okay if I hit record? Yes, of course you can. Purely for the transcription, so it's not for the video. No, whichever uh, you wish. All good. No problem. Everything will be anonymized, unless, of course, you prefer otherwise. If there's anything. No, no. Go on. But that will be clear. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. So, Christopher Titmus, and it's the 28th of February. Let me just write that down as well so I don't forget. Um, right. Um, I've alluded to this already, but the first question really has to do with your, I mean, the standard question we ask teachers is when they first became interested in mindfulness and what later led them to become a teacher. Now, in your case, of course, you were first uh, a Buddhist, right, before you um, effectively became a mindfulness teacher in the eyes of many. Yes. But um, could you just recap for us again how you first came in contact with Buddhism? All right. And what led you to the monastery in Thailand? Okay. So, um, briefly and initially, um, in my early 20s, which is in 1967, Summer of Love in Britain, um, I made the overland run to uh, to India. <coughs> While on the road, that's going through Europe, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, etc. Um, my interest in the Buddhist Dharma developed and grew. And then in Saranath, which I just got back from on Saturday, by the way, where the Buddha gave his first talk, in 1967, around October, I picked up a small booklet and two things struck me. One was the normal thing. Since everything is impermanent, nothing is worth clinging to. That was one sentence that really struck a chord. 
Um, and um, the uh, second uh, sentence which went along uh, uh, with it was very much on um, an exploration of a free way of life through non-clinging. And this resonated with my, what you call it, hippie mind. And the outcome of that, still continuing, I took ordination as a Buddhist monk. That was in 1970 in Thailand and stayed ordained for uh, six years. In that period of time, I was very much exposed to the importance of mindfulness. Of course, insight meditation, vipassana, um, metta, kindness, uh, and teachings on waking up and liberation. And that has formed uh, the influence, we might say, um, over this past whatever, 40, 50 years. So that's basically the, the background to it. Thank you so much. And again, I know we've got access to much more detail on this. Yes. Um, all through your books, but also through your many recordings online. All right. That's very helpful. That's very helpful for us to just start off with. Um, moving on. Yep. Um, now, I understand you're a Dharma teacher. Mm. Um, so, but clearly you've effectively witnessed this thing called mindfulness come up yes. more mm. in the um, May I ask, how does your work as a, say, mindfulness teacher in the eyes of your clients or students, yes. um, how big a part does that play in your overall practice as a Dharma teacher? Right. It's a good question. Um, it, it has an indispensable, mindfulness has an indispensable part in it, but it is not the epicenter. So, in other words, mindfulness fits in with a larger uh, exploration. And all are mutually supportive. I would include that. Um, um, ethics, of course, and um, attitude, a sustainable way of life, um, creativity, service, love, um, the depths of meditation... So mindfulness um, is a contribution of an important one to ethics, clarity, wisdom, insight, realization. It is in that field. I would hesitate very much to, in any way, reify it to the point that the rest is in a bit in the background. I see. Hmm. Um, and just to hone in on... The, the formal on. practice, if you will. Yes. The practice of sitting mindfulness meditation. Mm. Um, could you walk me through your own approach? In, yes. In terms of the practice that you do on your own. Yeah. So, um, two two aspects to <coughs> um, to this. Um, one, <coughs> pardon me. One is the form: sitting, walking, standing, and reclining. Um, I live alone here in uh, Totnes, and the other I put into the category of the formless, just as uh, the Buddha did, in fact. So, times of silence and stillness and quietitude are indispensable to my daily life. It gives me the opportunity for uh, reflection. It gives me the opportunity to not be involved in the world of the other, called people, called objects, etc. 
and generating time for that uh, <coughs> I find really important and valuable. But there's also the mindfulness um, extending itself <coughs> into writing, household work, shopping, and much, much family, my daughter, um, the grandchildren. So mindfulness is a, an essential feature uh, of, of that. So to give a small example, I'm playing with the grandkids. Yeah. My mind wanders. Yeah. I think about all the emails. I think about washing up to do. And my young grandson says to me, Oh, granddad, you're not being present. <laughs> so teachers come in all shapes and sizes, and it includes one's grandchildren. I see, I see. Okay. That's a wonderful example. Thank you. Um, um, uh, what about the formal aspect? Um, I understand it's very difficult for you to differentiate between the formal and the informal. And the yes. Uh, if we do, you still practice a regular form of sitting meditation, for instance. Um, uh, no, um, in the day-to-day -day, uh, uh, life, in comparison, I'm teaching retreats, whatever it might be, four or five months per year, and of course, I'm very much in the formal cross-legged position. Those times, incidentally, I regard as really core to the practice for myself maximizing <coughs> the opportunity for silence and sitting though there's a group of people in front of me and here at home as I mentioned the cross-legged form rarely use um, sometimes sitting um, um, in the chair quite regularly and naturally silence and stillness and it's the same elemental response um, uh, I read in the, um, I think it was the Guardian newspaper, that one of these, oh, you can get as much, mindf much mindfulness and stress reduction from watching television as anything else. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah and a, a friend of mine said, what's your response, Christopher? I said, I fully agree, but don't turn the TV on. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, it, of course, it can be applied to watching television. But, um, as I say, silence, stillness, quiet times, the walk in the nature, they're precious. Okay, I understand. Thank you. Um, <coughs> moving on to a more general question mm. about Buddhism. Yeah. Um, many Buddhist mindfulness teachers that we interview yes. uh, like to differentiate between being either a religious, spiritual or secular Buddhist. Yes, I, yes. Uh, where do you stand on that? Um, what would be your response to that sort of a question? Yes, um, it, 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 it's quite accurate what, what you say, this um, categorization, the religious, the spiritual and the secular. It's a, a, a common um, d uh, division. Um, mm. If I may say, I don't have any foothold in any of the three. Um, be simply because at times it genuinely is valuable for people just to listen to the practices and not introduce the languages or the intimations of the spiritual and the religious. Um, and at other times there is an interest and a curiosity about what is spiritual um, and 
there's also an interest as well in the religious as well. So it's recognising who are we talking to, who are we writing to, and keeping that as a, as a priority. Personally, I, I don't feel involved in specifically in any camp. So um, to give a small example, I was just teaching in the Thai monastery in Saranath. So there's a religious culture uh, uh, there. Um, before that, I was giving a workshop to um, women who are do- dealing with domestic violence. So there's the practical. Um, I might be giving a, um, I was giving a weekend retreat and emphasizing the importance of the spiritual in life. So in other words, I moved between the three. Was this, these weren't all in Saranath? No, no. So one, one was in Saranath, the religious culture. Um, the second was in Brighton at the Dharma School with an emphasis on the spiritual. This, this was a, a, a workshop day long. And um, then giving a workshop in England for uh, an afternoon session for women dealing with people with the domestic violence situations. And that's very secular. All three have a validity in my view. Absolutely. Okay, I completely understand that. Mm. Uh, I might want to come back to this later. Yeah, please do. Yeah. I've got a few more specific questions around those different audiences, I guess. Yes. But that's very helpful. Thank you very much. Um, I'd just like to move on now to the field more generally, if you don't mind. Yeah, good, yes. Um, first of all, very generic question. How do you explain the popularity of mindfulness itself as of late? Yeah. Because um, you've been teaching meditation, as far as I can tell, before mindfulness even was a term, right? Y- before it got its um, current um became the buzzword in the world of psychology, uh, uh, etc. You're, you're, you're right. You, it's, it's, this is the consequence of being in the white-haired club. One's in before, during and after situation uh, there. I think the core essential reason, above all the others, is that people with stress, with physical pain, with mind-body health issues were finally given some real practical tools which those men, women and children can apply to the daily life. So instead of just talking therapy, instead of just medication, here's the practices, here's the tools you can work with, get some support from good mindfulness teachers and people said yes to that. That's what they want. They want that can they apply this in their daily life? And that's the power. I see, I see, Mm. I see. Well, I mean, in response to that, just to drill down further, um, one could argue meditation practices were around much before mindfulness was around. Yes, around around at least 3,000 years. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So, what would you boil down to the actual success of mindfulness itself now? Well, um... (coughs) <coughs> a combination of factors. So socially, um, there is there is and was a need. Uh, a friend of mine told me that somewhere between fifty to a hundred thousand people a month in Britain are googling the word mindfulness with some extra words to go along beside it, and that reflects the curiosity and the interest. 
Um, a second factor is that um, there's so much stress in society there and people needing something which they weren't receiving. And this sparked it off. So people like myself, (coughs) primarily concentrating on retreats, and then the interest in the mindfulness, the good research, John Kabat-Zinn being uh, a trained scientist, was able to do the proper analysis to convince the doctors and the medical science community of the validity of the approach. And this, over the years, gave immense, and continues, immense credibility to the mindfulness programs. And that, that, I think, really, really helped. The West loves scientific confirmation, scientific evidence. And I think that set the right tone over these past 30, nearly 40 years now. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful, thank you very much. Um, and the flip side of this, yes. I guess you could call it the dark side, is the term make mindfulness. Yes. Uh, I assume you've come across that term. Uh, extre- extremely uh, frequently, of course. And um, uh, Ron, Ron Purser, one of the um, architects, I just had an email from him to couple of days ago so he has a book on Mac Mindfulness coming out that's right yes. <coughs> so go word out earlier, of course. oh yes it, it, yes it, the essays and the articles and yeah. um, I think that the voice of uh, Ron and others which includes myself yes. um, is part of the questioning th- the discourse. God, the phone's ringing again. I'm in the front door. There's no rush. Take your time. <laughs> okay, I'll just pop down. There you So, uh, okay, I'm back <laughs> with the Mac Mindfulness. So, um, I guess I just wanted to ask you what, what your thoughts are about the, um, I guess, the premise of the claim that we, that the field is best identified as a form of Mac Mindfulness today is highly commodified, it's been fetishized, effectively, overly secularized. I, I'm, I, I won't give, um, of course, any uh, definition to make mindfulness, that's not my area, but what I would like to say is where the concern is. Firstly, the benefits. The benefits are immense in the public sector. We're talking about hospitals, clinics, schools, um, the world of psychology, psychotherapy, um, 
uh, for the elderly, for the sick, um, for people in the public sector. There is a tremendous outreach, and the mindfulness teachers are doing a, I think, a really superb job. I'm, I'm, and I, you know, my hats off to the initiative to bring from the youngest in the schools to the elderly in the retirement homes and the whole spectrum. Help, mindfulness will help. It does help. It's effective. That's quite an endorsement coming from you. Yeah, absolutely. Because I listen. My daughter works in the uh, the field of uh, uh, public health, and of course, many many friends associated. The weak spot, and my God, it's in my view, it's a weak spot. Quite often in the private sector, <coughs> it's about stress reduction to make one more calm, concentrated, and efficient and getting on better with one's work colleagues in order to maximize profits, in order to build up the company, uh, etc. And far too often, the mindfulness teachers working in this um, private sector, the corporate world, are not asking questions about ethics, sustainability, lifestyle, um, moderation, values, it's just not in the dialogue. It's even in the military, it's certainly not in the dialogue there either. And I think it's going to take a rather bold <coughs> initiative to embrace or rather include mindfulness in a bigger sense of things. That my reading, in my looking, uh, and conversations, I don't see that actually happening in the corporate world as, as a general principle. Mm. A little bit, but not much. Um, would you then say that the practice of mindfulness yes. is inherently ethical, or does it have to come with a wider ethical framework? It is not inherent, nothing is inherent, you know, it's a, including mindfulness. It, it's not, so in that respect, I mean, what I hear is, oh, mindfulness is inherently ethical. Um, no, no, it isn't. I'm, I'm, I'm a very small, and the Buddha has made this clear. I'm, I could be sitting downstairs and someone upstairs is robbing me. Yes. And they're incredibly mindful more mindful than the meditators because they don't want to make a sound it's in it's unethical obviously so in that respect when mindfulness teachers say to me only a few oh it's explicit um uh no rather implicit and i say you it's not no it's not it's not never intended like that it has to be explicit. In other words, the language of respect, sensitivity, care with products, um, wealth redistribution, looking at the plight of the poor, the marginalized, the office cleaners, the factory workers. Mindfulness has to go there. What is the company's responsibility in that area, in those areas? 
what is the product that which is being used um, and that then invites a, a fresh vision of mindfulness it is not so necessary in the public sector because it, it is a sector mostly not always obviously of service and and the people in the NHS the people in the hospitals the people in the schools are endeavoring to provide a service there and therefore the motivation and intentions are different from the corporate world and I think for me mind make mindfulness <coughs> amongst its many concerns is what's going on with the corporate uh, world I think that's uh, for me that's where where some questioning really needs to take place and I have I do not see any evidence that those who just do a mindfulness course to reduce their stress in the office it has sparked a kind of insight or change or whistleblowing or dialogue to look at the values of the company itself. I, I hardly see any evidence for this. And therefore I don't have the confidence in mindfulness programs, this pres these prescriptive programs working in that sector. Interesting. Okay, very interesting. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess a slightly different take on the same issue. Go on. Yes. The question of whether mindfulness practice... Yeah. Is effectively, would you say it's just simply a form of therapy, or does it go beyond that? Um, is it just a way of curing some form of disease, or does it actually lead to anything bigger or other than that? Um, it's, it's a good, <laughs> it's a, a good question. I can, I can get a sense of uh, some of the good influences uh, uh, for you um, with. <coughs> Let me just have a sip of the water here. I'm, I've still got to go to India these days. The, the throat and the irritation from the pollution. Really? I'm sorry to hear. Yeah, it's a, anyway, it's another story. Um, with um, the mindfulness in its application, you know, frankly, many, it's kind of um, a way to feel a bit more comfortable and relaxed. It's a kind of mind-body therapy. Um, but one's living in a society which, in my view, is largely corrupt. Um, half the population on medication on any given day. Um, huge amount of unhappiness and despair. Tremendous addictions you know, from the mobile phone to the alcohol and the gambling and all the way through. Well, we, why make people f a bit better to fit into all of that? So I take the, the view that if a person really perseveres with a mindfulness practice, hopefully something in the being will get triggered to say, well, what else? What's the background? What else can I do? It's not enough just to sit mindfully every morning and evening and be a bit more mindful in things. It's got more power and authority when it is linked up with much more. So what we, <coughs> the meditation teachers, the retreat leaders, 
and the workshop people are finding out of the networks of people doing, say, an eight-week program, you know, the MBSR being the most popular, and uh, many others, out of that small number will say, okay, I want to go further with this. I have a sense there's something deeper with all of this. And it's vital that the Dharma teachers, the meditation teachers, the Buddhists, and others are really accessible and available for those who want to go to the next stage. And that's that's our job, really. And clearly, in your case, you're able to provide that springboard for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what about the field as a whole, in terms of your, you know, standard mindfulness teacher who's just got an eight-week class of qualification, is able to teach, has done the teacher training course, uh, but is not a Buddhist, say. No. Would you say that on the whole, did they also have an ability now more so than before? Um, it, it, it's hard and a little bit unfair to make the generalization. What I can say is that there's a wide variety of mindfulness teachers, including MBSR and others, who come to retreats. And these days, some of them are motivated because they have to do a retreat in order to get the qualification. You know, so that that's there. But <coughs> some mindfulness teachers are lightweight because I listen to them, I talk with them, and re- really, really need to sit on their ass and do a lot more retreats and a lot more practice and get that depth which cannot come through information. And, and some recognize that. And to their credit, they're attending more retreats, having more association with teachings and teachers uh, there. And that's informing in an insightful way their practice. And then from that, they can share. I see. And I, all I can do is encourage um, anyone who wishes to go deeper to find teachings, practices, teachers who can contribute and help in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's critical. Otherwise, it will remain kindergarten, lightweight, lots and lots of teachers, and where's the depth? I see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and um, on a, I guess you could call it a public policy angle. Yes. Just a social angle. The fact that we now see more and more mindfulness programs being implemented mm. hospitals, prisons, etc. Um, where do you stand on questions around regulation, um, regulating the field, as it were? Um, these must be issues, I presume, especially when you talk to other mindfulness teachers. That comes up quite often. Yes. There's a lot of talk about this. Where do you stand on those issues? Do you think it should be regulated more? Or, it, 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 uh, go on. It... it, it it, I mean, the contrast between East and West and that is like night and day on this issue. Goodness me. So I had, I'd go to my background first. I had two teachers, <coughs> Ajahn Buddhadasa, radical, reformer, visionary, 
profound teacher, genuinely, um, and highly respected uh, in, Tha in Thailand. He just said to me, Kitty Supo, that was my name, go to the West and teach. No training course, no how-to, just go and do it. Um, Ajahn Damodaro, my Vipassana teacher, so three years with him in the monastery, uh, just doing the Vipassana, he, he couldn't stand books. He thought books were the death of practice. And when he found out years ago that I'd written four or five books, he was not pleased at all. You know, he felt I'd lost it. Might have done it anyway. So, and then he said, just go and teach Vipassana. I said, go and do it. There. So you have this kind of rather extreme kind of view, we, uh, we might say. But in the West, if there's so much regulation, people end up clones. The memory is providing the answers rather than the wisdom and the understanding. So sometimes people will come, mindfulness teachers, sometimes, I hope I don't sound conceited here, but um, sometimes I pretty well know who the teacher was I see you. by the language. I'm sure you can tell, yes. And what's needed, you know, to use a kind of Dharma language for a moment, is a kind of appreciation of original mind. So what I mean by that is, if it's so regulated, it then becomes more and more controlling and it loses its original free-spirited way, which is, you know, a great aspect of the Buddha Dharma. <coughs> if it's unregulated, and if there's no proper ongoing guidance, the outcome of that, every Tom, Dick, Harry, Mary and Jane can end up as mindfulness teachers, yes. self-appointed. So somewhere there's got to be a middle way, the way I use, which is kind of traditional, is um, I'm, I'm like a football scout, you see. I'm keeping my eyes open for the good players in the front of me. Really? Okay. And over the period of time, she or he, I'll um, think, well, there's some real potential uh, there. And then after more time, whatever that might be, I might <coughs> invite her or him to give me some assistance, which is what happened with me in Thailand with my teachers. They asked me to give them some assistance, particularly to the Westerners who were coming uh, there. Then I could go to my, the teacher and say to him, look, how do I respond to this? How do I deal with that? And so over a period of time, working closely with a, a senior teacher, in this case would be uh, this one, it then the students then learn they, and then gradually they can stand on their own two feet and they have their own authority. And that might take with some one year, two years, three years, four years um, uh, in order for them to be able to develop and feel their full authority as a Dharma teacher. Uh, and, um, and others, they start off because I can't accept everybody because, you know, the limits to what, who I can in, invite. But over the years, 
quite a few of them, until they're completely on their own two feet, will have regular contact with me. Phone, emails, communications. So they have somebody to look towards as their support. And I prefer this approach rather than the formula approach. So very close teacher, student, or guru, disciple, whatever you want to call it, a relationship is key. Um, yeah, a guru, disciple is not my cup of tea, but shall we call it good friendship? Good friendship, good friendship of course. <laughs> All right, okay. What's, what's the formal uh, notation for a teacher, Dharma teacher, and student relationship under, in Buddhism? Well, it, 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 it varies according to the tradition, you know, so... You know, from the... Go on. In your experience, what was it? Oh, in my, my ex thank God for, for people like me who have a, a certain anarchic tendency. I had to, I needed anarchic teachers uh, there. So... I heard about your canings, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, exactly. That hasn't gone away, by the way. Incurable. Um, so, <coughs> with the teachers, I could listen to them because I felt their free spirit to give it an example with both teacher teachers very quickly with Ajahn Dhammadaro I went to him I said I've been a monk a year or two I said there is no real proof anywhere that the Buddha actually lived I mean it's two and a half thousand years ago things have been written and yes they're useful but there's no real proof and he said who cares just get on with your practice with Ajahn Buddhadasa, which was a, one of those kind of um, turning points, when I first went to see him as a young guy, he reiterated this, nothing is worth clinging to. Sabe dharma nalang abhinasaya is the Pali. And he took off <coughs> his robe off the shoulder, pulled it up in the air, and he said, nothing is worth being identified with, including the idea, I am a Buddhist monk. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's like when people sometimes come to me with difficult questions about Buddhism, yes. I, my, I, my response is, please go and ask a Buddhist. I see, I see. You see what I mean? You know, I, I, I use the word Buddhist, I am a Buddhist, very lightly, very, very lightly. <laughs> um, I mean, I do want to come back to a lot of these questions. Yeah, please, you feel free. So I can finish off some of the things on my list here. Go on. Um, in terms of, again, just the mindfulness sector, as it were. Yeah. Um, what would you see? I know you've alluded to some of these already, but what would you see as the main problems the Fed sector is facing in terms of its uh, evolution over the coming years? Yeah, I think the main problems... Um, I might r repeat a little bit here, if I may. <coughs> One is we need more mindfulness teachers who have done a lot more practice. That is one. Okay. Secondly, some of these mindfulness training courses are extremely expensive. Some of my Dharma friends, students, you might say, who have a wealth of experience in practice in Buddhist monasteries, 
in Sri Lanka, Thailand, Myanmar, India, and retreats and courses, would make wonderful teachers. They can't afford to do the course for the training. They, they, they are living minimally. Uh, a very austere life, really true to a kind of that disciplined, austere way of life. They would make wonderful teachers. So that finance is another one. And some of the senior teachers are, are charging large sums of money to be in their courses. I, th I think that has to be questioned a lot. Um, a third area is needing teachers who have a bigger outreach sense than mindfulness. And that's going to require a lot of work and cooperation there. To, if you put it in classical terms, um, yes. the Eightfold Path. Every one of those links is vitally important if our world is going to survive its current crisis. And so mindfulness is a tremendous stepping stone, <coughs> but people need to recognize all the other aspects of it. It's, it, 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 it's a shallow response to think mindfulness is all about being in the moment and not being judgmental. I mean, it's like the little finger of the, on this whole body. It is important, but my goodness me, there's a heck lot more important as well. And people get these, the one-liner, and kind of get boxed into it. And, I, I, and it's a liberation teaching, not a, a boxed-in definition teaching. I guess moving on from the problems, yes. just generally your outlook in terms of the future mm. of the world, um, how, how do you foresee this sector evolving over the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years? Well, <laughs> um, 20 years might be a bit too far ahead. Of, I'll, be, I'll be 75 next month, <laughs> but I know what you mean. Um, Um, it's a little difficult to say. Um, um, I don't lean towards optimism or pessimism. I think there's just too much mental projection into optimism and pessimism uh, uh, there. Um, it might be that the good reports that you and your team are putting together yes. and hopefully some interesting conclusions might well inform us who, people like me, who are speaking in the generalities, but some precise homework from the people like yourself might be more effective than, than a voice like me. All that I can say is that the wish, as expanded on a moment ago, is to keep the secular teachings of mindfulness really alive and well, in the public sector, wonderful service, to be a bit more bold and fearless in the private sector, the business community, because we are under so much influence of the corporate world, and mindfulness teachers who are invited are kind of getting inside the doorway, so to speak, and can apply mindfulness to a whole variety of fields, 
but it's going to take some creative, intelligent, thoughtful questions to help bring it out without that group of managers or seniors getting on the defensive. It's going to take a skill in communication, but it's necessary. Otherwise, mindfulness can't contribute to social, political, or environmental change. I see. see it, 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 something's got to speak about mindfulness and its wider application. Um, the other, where it's going, <coughs> um, I'm, a, along with others, a supporter of uh, activism, obviously the non-violent kind. There's some wonderful people who are working for social, political, uh, environmental, global change, doing wonderful work. Mindfulness needs to give those people a great deal of support. Some just end up getting angry, which is no, no is part of the problem, not the cure. Um, others get stressed and burnt out. Because their heart and mind and body too is so externalized, they lose touch here. And they need renewal. And mindfulness practices can offer that renewal. We, have, we the mindfulness teachers, we've got the tools. We've got more tools than most people put together. We've got the tools. We have a lot to contribute towards social global change. And I think that link-up is a really important one. And uh, to give you a small example, there were these demonstrations on the, uh, on the bridges at London a few weeks ago. And the activists were trying to get themselves arrested so they could get more publicity. They were begging the police, please arrest us. Yeah. And they wanted 500 arrests. And the police said, we can't, we haven't got the resources, we haven't got the vehicles, we'd love to, but we can't there about 85 people got arrested two or three were teachers from Gaia House I went I was oh wonderful and eight out of the 85 were from here from Totnes so in other words people are engaged in their meditations teaching mindfulness and as the Buddha said consistently mindfulness is inner and outer Currently, it leans heavily towards the inner, okay. but which is valuable. But it's not; it's half the story. You know, it, it's it's know thyself, yes, but know the other as well. And the, and the Buddha's Dharma is an inner and outer teaching, a wisdom and compassion teaching, and we have to keep true with that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to come back to a few of these. Yeah, please do, yeah. Before I do, uh, can I just ask you, is there anything that I may have missed out? I mean, we've gone through the whole list now. Um, is there a particular angle or a particular subject that you think is worth uh, delving into more deeply? Well, you can... I, I, <laughs> I got... Alright, I'll, I'll, no, no, not on the spot. And I have no hesitation in... <coughs> responding to a good question. So there are four or five things, since you asked me. <laughs> um, uh, one is, the path, to use the uh, 
conventional metaphor has a goal and that goal has to be spoken about it's called it's called liberation okay. it's called awakening yes. it's called profound realizations the path has a goal the goal tends to get neglected so that 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 would be um, uh, uh, one uh, one area. Uh, the second, the teachings make give great importance and beautifully so to dana, to the act of the gift, generosity, kindness, time, energy, money, knowledge, resources, etc. And Buddhism, to its everlasting credit, has a wonderful tradition of Dharma Dana, the act of the gift. When we teach in the Thai monastery, there we have a full house there. The monastery provides all the facility, no charge to us. We offer it as a Dana. And centres that means um, especially in the Anglo-American world and less so in the, in the continental EU world but the Anglo-American world the daily rates are gradually going up and up and up the cost of that is that the single mum the elderly person on the pension the unemployed the student low income those who are in debt the hitchhiker, the traveller and others simply can't go. And though, to the credit, the centres will offer a kind of scholarship, you know, which is thoughtful, but I know, firstly, of friends who don't like this cap in hand, asking for a scholarship, sometimes having to explain why they have to ask. Um, and... I think there's, a <coughs> amongst many friends in the low-income group, there's a real concern about, well, we are slowly being priced out. Okay. And I think, I think that uh, is, is part of the current discourse that's needed. So the, the, those things, that more depth with the teachers yeah. uh, there, the exploration of uh, the dana there, making courses more um, affordable and the building up of communities um, lo uh, locally is really imp really important and an example of that a couple of weeks ago um, there was a public speaker coming as they do to Totnes you know it's this rather well-known alternatives that go on with the town and one person, she said to me that she went there, she said maybe 60, 70 people were there. And he asked, oh, does anyone here know about meditation and practice meditation? And she said, nearly everybody put their hand up. This is not less. You know, it's a good network of meditators around here. Interesting. <laughs> um, I want to ask you... Yeah. Um, First of all, in terms of the retreats that you lead on, yes. um, I guess that's your main contact for your students, uh, participants, friends, etc., who come to practice yep. uh, with you. 
I'm sorry? Are there any other groups that you're involved with at the moment or that you're helping out on or etc. besides your retreats, besides Gaia House? So basically, uh, yes, of course. Um, So it ranges from, we have a school in India with 600 interreligious school, 600 kids in it. That's a area of responsibility. Um, With... um, the use of the social media, you know, the books and the blogs and all of that reach outreach. I use all of those quite extensively uh, there. Um, involved <coughs> in giving support to um, groups and organisations connected with protest and activism. Been a member of the Green Party since the 1970s there. Stood twice for Parliament in the town many uh, uh, years ago. Um, and, uh, you the, uh, eh? yeah. and you got the highest number of any Green Party candidate. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that entirely due to my beloved friends knocking on every conceivable door. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun and we appreciated it. So yeah. it, it's using all the, all the resources that we can, basically, uh, there. And, of course, the contact with... Buddhism, the religion, um, with encouraging friends to go to monasteries for more practice and so so forth. So it's a re- reasonable outreach. We have the networks in Israel and Palestine cooperating and working together. So a variety of projects are going on all the time, which includes the retreat. It includes the pilgrimages and and uh, and those other items I mentioned too. So it's Fairly, um, fairly diverse. Fairly diverse. Absolutely. It's good for us to know, just so we can cover the whole spectrum. Thank you so much, Bill. Thanks for the detail. Um, okay. And I guess one final thing I wanted to ask you is, yes. I know you take the label even of Buddhist very lightly. Mm. And, um, you already mentioned that you like to cover the whole religious, spiritual, secular approach when it comes to mindfulness, yes. and value, all of them. Um, in terms of your students, yes, the people who come to you. Um, would you say that they're? How would you classify them? I mean, are they majority secular? They just want to deal with the stress from work. They want to, you know, they're going through a depression of some sort, and they're just coming for a quick fix, one way or another. Or would you say that a lot of them are actually in it for something bigger? They're searching for answers to bigger questions in life, etc. The, the more advanced stages that you're referring to earlier. Um. Um, all of that and more. So, uh, so in other words, the motivations and intentions at the beginning of the retreat, yes. or you know, gatherings or whatever it might be, but I'm hopefully by the end of the days that there's some. It might be lukewarm for some interest in something transcendent. Liberation, truth, reality, waking up. There's something registering about the value of that. (coughs) Regardless, because I I feel unless we have a kind of... We get a proper perspective on our very modest life and our modest journey in this world if we have a much bigger sense of something other, which I'm calling the transcendent. 
and that puts our life into a perspective. Uh, and I think it, without the without the transcendent, the I, me, and my around our small life, we shrink yeah. around it with all the fears, anxieties, and for some terror of death. But the bigger perspective uh, is vital. Some, as you point out, will come because they're in, you know, they're in hellish states of mind and really struggling, and need need to come, and we offer uh, that which we can. But there are plenty of people who come to retreats who are emotionally well adjusted, well integrated, not having a lot of suffering in their life, living with a deep sense of um, ethics and integrity and are exploring the deepest levels of Dharma and that's why they're on retreats. Perfect. That's precisely what I was trying to get at. Yes. Um, let me just jot this down quickly. Yes, yeah. That's very helpful, thank you. Just because these things don't really get uh, talked about very much, as yeah. you can imagine. That, 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 it is a, it is a, it, it is, we, we, we have, like you're doing today, you know, uh, we have to keep the voice alive and, and talk about these things uh, there because they can quietly slip into the unspoken. Especially because it's secular mindfulness, right? That's what people often refer to it as. Exactly. And, and if it gets kind of, I mean, the secular world, mindfulness, has as much opportunity to talk about liberation and without any religious language, without mention of the Buddha or the yes. East, is, has the same potential as one can find in the monastic institutions and one can find in that sense of the spiritual when the material world of things, goods and possessions are lower in the priority in one's life, that the material world is just, has a place. I read somewhere, is it like, the matter is around um, 4 or 8% of the universe, something like that. And, um, and, I, and, and my comment is, that's about as much attention we should give to matter. <laughs> and once that's quieter, there's a chance of something we might call spiritual to evoke itself. You know, and, and some it might just be looking up at the stars at night. Yeah. It might be reading a, a profound poem. It might be in a meditation. But we need the spiritual, and but we, my view, we need all three, and all three can be great doorways to a really liberated and awakened life. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Christopher. I think it's best if we end it on that note. All right. But um, I'm. I'm hoping that I will be in touch with you again. Yes, and, and again, if um, afterwards but you have any questions, just send me an email and we'll, you know, if you, if you, got, you need some more. Just let, don't hesitate. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, your open door policy, especially because you must be very busy as well with all your projects, ongoing projects. But um, I will, I might very well come back to you, both in terms of our exchange now. Yes. But also... Um, more generally around our project. Hopefully, this is quite a long project. I mean, we're now halfway in mm. a year project. Um, the research itself will be done 
not this summer, but next summer, yes. 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, once it's finished, we're hopefully going to be, I mean, we're definitely publishing a book on this. Excellent. Uh, where we're going to be sharing all the evidence, etc. Now, once all that's done, we're also hoping to hold a little conference mm. where we're effectively going to invite everyone who we've been in contact with. Oh, wow. And as you can imagine, that's going to be quite an event. Yes. Uh, now, most people, obviously, mindfulness teachers get along quite well. Yes. Surprise, some people also don't talk to each other. So <laughs> that pans out. But um, if you don't mind, I'd really, really appreciate if you could join us on that day as well. Absolutely. This will take a long time. We're talking at least one or two years. Yeah, yes. I just wanted to let you know, uh, just to keep, you know, give you a heads up, as it were. And, oh, uh, but do. yes, I mean, in that event, we'll hopefully just give the summary of what we found out about, about mm -hmm. teachers, etc. That in itself will lead to lots of questions, I'm sure. Yes. But also hopefully create a platform for yourself, your colleagues, etc. And other people. Beautiful. For this otherwise, again, what, whoever the mindfulness teachers are. To, nice. you know, have a few sessions, have a few panels, come together, have a discussion around all these things. So, oh, good I'm one. Sure, I'm sure you'll know half if not most most of the room there anyway so, <laughs> good all right that's lovely lovely to lovely to hear and i, I do think these initiatives yes. communicating with the variety of teachers as you are doing hearing a variety of voices um really is the way forward because yes. like any any of us we can get a little bit in our bubble and we need to hear through through contact with others through being asked the questions like you asked today, gives me time for some uh, reflection and looking at the relationship and the of these three important areas, the secular, the spiritual, the religious, and sometimes the fusion of the three together as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. And also, one final thing. I'm not sure if you actually completed our survey. Um, did you... Uh, I'll send you a link if you All have right. a chance. Um, now, obviously, you're in a special category <coughs> to the survey, and it's a very generic survey, but you can still fill it out. All right. And if you can, that would be fantastic. And we, again, it covers the full spectrum. All right. Um, I think uh, we even managed to get John Kabat-Zinn to have a look at it. So it's going to, we're focusing on the UK, and it would be a real shame if we didn't have you on there. So if you get a chance, all right. there's no rush. I'll no. send you a link. All right. Sometimes I'm a little hesitant with the surveys. But I'll I'll, ha I'll have a look, but I won't promise. But I'll have a look. With you, I'll leave it with you. I fully understand if it's not really going to be worth your while. However, if you could pass it on to teachers as well, other mindfulness teachers, just because, yeah. uh, again, to give us a good snapshot of the field as much as possible, it would be great for us to be able to talk to other people who, uh, I guess, yeah. you could call them, not your lineage, but at least people who are also sure. close to you. Okay, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll keep my eyes and uh, ears open and send the link over and I'll uh, uh, take take a look. Straight away. And one final thing. Yes. Just popped up in my head. Um, so your first contact was in India, and then you went to a monastery in Thailand. Yeah. Right. How come Buddhism? I'm not sure if you get this a lot, but you must have come across a lot of yoga, a lot of Hinduism while you were in India as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, is how, how did that come about? Did you also have an interest in yoga more generally? Were you doing more? Yeah, I did. Um, um, so, um, having been brought up in the Catholic Church, uh, 
uh, with all that it is. So I went from Catholic with a capital C to Catholic with a small c. Catholic tastes in spiritual religious world. And of course the, the two, that means the Hindu yoga, Advaita, Vedanta tradition and the Buddha Dharma, you know, they, they have a huge amount which is in common. So in the years of Thailand and uh, uh, India, there was a lot of exploration and integration there. And in a way that still is finding its, finding its expression. <coughs> what I like about the Buddha Dharma, the Buddha's teachings, it's so clear you know, what the teachings are about. There is suffering in this world. There are the causes and conditions. There is the resolution and there are ways to resolve it. I went, yes, yes, yes. And that was the magnet. I see what you, mean. you see what I mean? It, it, it's just spelt out so unambiguously. I see what you mean. I see and it's solely focused on that. Yeah, and, that, and the best is really, it gets a bit distracted. You know, it can be distracted in the religious way in terms of flowers, temples, candles, incense and chanting. But it can get distracted in the secular way, a branch of psychology, um, neuroscience there, uh, and um, too much knowledge and information. And it's somewhere between those extremes, we might say, um, is this core body of teachings with a lot of depth through practice. Keep that together. We can make good use of academic research without getting lost. We can make good use of religion and what it has to offer without getting lost because we're keeping steady with the essentials. The reason I ask is because you've clearly sampled, as it were, many different approaches, traditions. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I just wondered what your thoughts were on, if you'll call it Samatha meditation yeah. versus mindfulness meditation. And, uh, you know, whether you draw a difference between external object meditation or more internalized forms of meditation, etc. No, I don't. Um, I don't find my mind has a kind of um, internal, external or versus. Um, yes. It's more, both for myself and with others what is the skillful way so in other words there's meditations which are really valuable with an object it might be called sight sound smells taste and touch there's object it might be called breath body feeling thoughts internal both are valuable but there's equally important is sometimes a meditation which has no interest in the object Sight, sound, smell, taste, the touch, body. So there's a silence and a stillness. No <coughs> focusing on an object. It's an objectless meditation. Sometimes out of the space of that, some deep voice, deep insights can come. Yes, yes, yes. So both both are valid, with objects or without. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just always quite interested as well in what actual practices mindfulness teachers themselves take on what they actually do but yeah that's very helpful that's just good to get a sense of the spectrum there is a wide spectrum isn't there of genuinely yes and and it's up to the good practitioners to in a way attend and listen 
and see what's workable and supportive uh, for them. That, 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 that the student, really, she or he, makes the decisions, is this supportive, is this beneficial? And it might be to a point, keeping it very open, okay, let me have a new object, it means another teacher or another practice. Make, make good use of the resources. There is no need to close down and identify with any particular person. All right, Thank you so much, Christopher, for everything. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for your good time, too. I really hope we're in touch again sooner rather than later. All right. And any, with any developments, if you get a moment, just send me. I love, to, I love to read and see how this important project's flowing along. I will certainly do that completely. No problem. Thank okay. Thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. Bye. <laughs> <coughs> mm <clears throat>